Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders, the podcast show where I interview the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders of today and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire, educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today I'm joined by Anand Verma. I'm really excited actually today because I know that he's got such a lot of experience when it comes to startups and the digital transformation world, so lots and lots of things to learn. Now Anand is the founder and CEO of Brilliant Basics, a global design and innovation studio Studios. He's now also European Head of Digital Services at Infoseas and YPO. Now, Anand has had a huge amount of experience when it comes to multi-channel design technology, business pioneering. He spent his career at the forefront of the digital industry since 1996. He's founded a number of businesses, supported a number of startups, and watched those SMEs grow and flourish into globally recognized organizations and brands. So thrilled to have him here today. Anand, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Leila. Really appreciate it. No worries at all. And tell me, and of course, all of our listeners who are joining us today, listening to the podcast show, Anand, a little bit about how you came to be where you are today for those that perhaps don't know you quite as well as well I say as I do I know we've not met before <laughs> but I've done lots of research on you so I actually knew a lot about you beforehand so I won't, um, I won't I won't bore our listeners with that but why don't you explain a little about your yourself personally and professionally thank you and thanks for having me again so, you know, I have an interesting background. I was born in India when I was 19 years old. I came to the UK to do my studies. Uh, so I did a bachelor's and master's in computer science. And, and also I did a research in very early days of e-commerce, actually. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a product of what I call is Eastern values and Western opportunities, right? So where, you know, I grew up in a really modest circumstances. My dad worked for Tata Motors, which actually owns uh, Jagger Land Rover, uh, as we were talking about earlier. And I, I'm a product of, you know, a really modest background. I'm one of five siblings i'm the youngest one you know i always had the opportunity to be an entrepreneurial soul uh, i was quite creative growing up so i was good at drawing and putting two two plus two together to make five but because of you know my eldest brother i was you know i got influenced by mathematics and computer science and and i'm a good mix of kind of art and science or you know magic or logic as they're called you know, I came here in the UK, I did my studies, like I said, and I had to find my own ways with very little support. So being innovative, being creative was the only way to kind of survive. And, you know, UK has given me a lot of opportunities. And my very first job was to work with a startup, a Chinese startup based out of Hong Kong. Very early days of dot-com boom was happening in 98, 99. And I became their chief technology officer in 1999, traveled the world uh, at the age of 23 in Hong Kong, San Francisco, London, constantly every month I was traveling. Uh, wow. That was all the dot-com boom was about, right? And then dot-com crash happened in 2001. And I went back to, you know, finding a job in the corporate world. Uh, and I climbed the ladder in many digital kind of companies. And, and, and you know, I was quite high up at a company called Sapient. Uh, and in doing so, what I realized was that I have this unique mix of explaining technology and technology's role in a really creative kind of terminology or creative kind of description to the clients, but also to, to the startup world. And that was my kind of genesis quoi, I would say in terms of my special sauce. 
and I climbed to the ranks at Sapien. And then one day a headhunter calls me and says, hey, there is a CEO opportunity uh, at a very large media company for Interpublic Group. Uh, would you like to interview? I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll give it a shot. And as, uh, as fortune will have it, you know, I became the youngest CEO of that company. And, you know, that was my kind of corporate story. And, you know, and then I realized that, you know, it's not fulfilling enough for me and I would love to do something of my own. And, uh, and that's when I founded a company called Brilliant Basics, which is always about, you know, put, putting user and the customer at the center of everything that, you know, the market and the brand wanted to achieve and do. And, you know, we won HSBC as one of our founding clients. And, uh, and, you know, the rest is, is history. We grew, you know, my imagination was that I'll run a one-person startup for next five years to come. But within a year, we were like, you know, 30 people in the organization. I had to find an office and I had to go and kind of recruit people and, you know, I had to, uh, you know, kind of raise funding and all those kind of things you go through in building a startup. Uh, I didn't have a lot of opportunity to get feedback from a mentor or a, or, a, or a chairman in the company. So I had to learn a lot of these things myself. And I made my mission to kind of share these ideas with other startups who are going through the same journey. So the core focus of Brilliant Basics was, you know, kind of threefold. One was what we used to call consult, which is consulting with large enterprises and and helping them be like a startup because a lot of these large enterprises don't move fast enough and uh, and they, they would like the same speed as Uber and Airbnb, but because of internal kind of silos, they're not able to move fast enough. So one of my mission was to bring that startup speed into large enterprises by bringing customer centricity. The second of the focus was collaboration, which is about you know, working with startups to collaborate and turn those SMEs that's, that you're saying, you know, that's kind of one person, one woman startup, one man startup into something that becomes really credible for the market. And they need a lot of confidence at the early stages of building a startup, right? It's a lonely journey. And, you, you know, having some support from people like mm-hmm. myself helps a lot. And the third part was create, which is about bringing that startup culture in my own company so that we can build startups internally and give that confidence to our employees. So, you know, at the highest level, consult, collaborate, and create was our strategy. And all of these were quite interwoven in terms of the way they work together. And, you know, since then, uh, we have incubated around 12 startups internally. Uh, We have supported more than 30 startups. And some of them have become multi-million dollar startups in last year. And also we have helped a number of large enterprises become really customer centric through design and innovation, uh, which is not just about the look and feel, but also the business transformation. So I've been really proud of, you know, being part of Brilliant Basics uh, story because it's quite humbling to be part of a company that grows and you remain, you know, relevant. And then in 19, uh, sorry, in, in 2017, a company called Infosys came and bought the company that is Brilliant Basics. And Infosys just to kind of sh- share the scale, Brilliant Basics was like literally, you know, 60, 70 people company when it got sold. Uh, on the flip side, Infosys was 230,000 people kind of company, right? So you can just see sheer scale of difference. And the reason they bought the company was because they were a very tech-focused company and very global, but they did not have the customer proposition uh, capabilities and, you know, that kind of uh, design capability in the company, the user experience, customer experience. 
and customer experience they realized was the differentiator a lot of brands they're working with. So, so we became the tip of the spearhead for emphasis. And three years down the line, you know, I run very large portfolio of emphasis in Europe and Middle East, as well as, you know, trying to grow brilliant basics across London, Berlin, Stockholm, uh, Amsterdam, and many other markets. And that's a fantastic job. And every day I kind of pinch myself, so what a job to have, you know, I'm running a brilliant basic startup kind of nimble company. Plus I've got the safety net of emphasis, right? Going to support us on the journey. So yeah, that's a little bit of a you know, background about me, but you know, uh, but I'll be here all day if I keep talking about myself. So uh, <laughs> this is but, the whole uh, point but... of the podcast show. This is exactly what we want to hear about. And I mean, that's just such a, a that is just such a great summary. And you know, especially for I know the term is overused, but I dare say entrepreneurs in inverted commas like myself and for others who run SMEs and fledgling businesses from those kind of swashbuckle you know swashbuckling pirate stories in the early days those kind of exciting growth stories and you're laughing because you know exactly what I mean hearing hearing stories like that where again it's so much more difficult than what it sounds but you know growing is kind of a little tin pot in you know kind of out of a little tin pot in the front room and I have done that with, with former businesses to then exactly. kind of getting a first office and it, I mean the thrill is I mean it is absolutely riveting and I think until you've done it it's really hard to actually it's hard to explain that That's experience right. and that fear of kind of I know, I like to call it flying by the seat of your underpants in the early days (laughs) before you get to that stage. But I think that is, you know, it's just so motivational hearing how that all played out. And 100% Lila. And I think, you know, somebody asked me the other day, you know, what do you miss the most about Billion Basics? And I said, you know, when we had five people in the company, when we were all in one room, tiny, like, you know, 500 square foot room with around one Ikea desk, and I think for me, that's what I miss the most. You know, I, what I've realized in my life is I'm a builder, right? I'm not a manager. I cannot be in a, you know, large company. I means I can do it, but I don't think it'll, my job, my life will be fulfilled, right? And I think to your point about, you know, having that kind of, you know, the adrenaline rush, right? Mm-hmm. When you're under pressure and, you know, you're trying to kind of go and get a coffee for the client from outside quickly, make it, make everything you make it look so you know seamless and 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 as good as you could i think those days are my favorite days right and when it gets to a certain scale and becomes more operationalized i think that's where you need to make sure you're surrounded by the right kind of managers absolutely and that is i mean that is at its core the epitome generally speaking of an entrepreneur and i mean i can absolutely relate to that and i'm sure many people are tuning in today who have either you know got what do they call it now kind of a side hustle or a or starting a business or or something like that and they've got that it's like a gene it's like an extra enzyme that fits within our dna that says oh you know the second it's like you your own worst enemy kind of so much energy to want to build something but the second you get there you're almost like what's next thing what's next thing what's next thing and you know I guess it almost answers my next question to you which is had you not thought to yourself that you want to want to have a break after you'd sold to Infosys but now no you're kind of working again you know I I think it's not in our it's not in my I'm an immigrant here right and and some again you know I was talking you know in another interview at uh, another radio station uh, a few months ago I had a similar question asked. I've not had a single day break from 
the day I completed my university. And not that, you know, I'm not looking for a break. I don't think immigrants' minds are designed like that, right? And I say that with a lot of respect to non-immigrant folks as well, that, you know, I, because of my modest upbringing, my belief is that, you know, if I stop working harder than yesterday, I'll go back to what it was like when I was growing up. Not that I had a, and I had a fantastic childhood, but I think there's something about giving your best on the day you are giving your best, right? And I think, you know, this is built in my DNA and my siblings' DNA as well. And it, it happens to a lot of people from India, from China, from Philippines, from, you know, wherever you name it. And I think, you know, this is not a, this is something that we are designed to do to give our best that day. And I, I, I in fact, I'll go ma- mad if I take a break for a few hours and my mind is constantly ticking. Uh, and that's why I said that, you know, the Western markets have given such opportunity for someone like me, but also we have kept our Eastern values of modesty, humility, you know, the education first kind of mindset. Uh, as a as a part of this, and I think combination of those two, at least for my sake and for my benefit, drives me forward every day. I think that's a really, it's a very beautiful expression, if you don't mind me saying so, mm-hmm. about the Eastern values and the Western opportunities. And I mean, just to hone into that a little, I suppose, with you know, tiny bit about my personal background, but I know this is very much about exploring exploring you here. You know, obviously I am Chinese, but I was adopted by, by white British parents and my mum and dad, my mum my worked for the NHS for many, many years. And my oh, wow. dad worked for a entrepreneur in Hong Kong called Mr. Mock, who made everything from noodles through to tapestry. Through, I mean, literally he'd do everything. And we always heard stories around the family table about what dad had been up to going over to China or whatever. And we were there during the time of being British colony. And I think actually, you know, when my brother and I, moved to the UK, he was four, I was six, went to a school in Harrogate, which is a very middle-class white school, children had not seen a Chinese child, and actually life then was, it was probably a little tougher because of being very different, but my father, I know, really struggled with the cultural shift of actually coming back, it wasn't so much going out there, but it was coming back, and, you know, we absolutely love Britain, Britain is our home, and I think this, you know, the world is full of opportunity, but my dad did say, you know, it was very, very different because yes. of that. You know what I mean, right? Is that is that cultural, yeah. that cultural shift coming away from very, very different ways of thinking and ways of approaching business. The the work ethic in a way is very, very different. And it's almost as you explained there, it's, you know, is it almost that, 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 you know, it's almost like an immigrant mindset. And I mean that, you know, not just physically necessarily, because like my dad coming back and, you know, for me, it was always, it's just ingrained in you to, to work hard. I mean, I know you are far more intelligent than I, but I, not at all. No, 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 honestly, but I, I know I'm not the most intelligent, but I know that I can outwork other people. <laughs> so when you talk of the secret sauce, I'm like, well, that's my secret sauce. It's- and it, 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 you know, I think this is what we are seeing actually, Leila, because, you know, skill sets have limited value today for a limited amount of time, right? So hmm. uh, I always say this to my team, you know, learning ability and the right attitude is far more important than having a skill sets that defines you for a short amount of time. 
uh, and especially in the digital world where, and we'll talk more about it, hopefully about diversity and other, mm -hmm. other sectors, but mm -hmm. digital world, ability to learn new things, mm -hmm. ability to unlearn and ability to relearn is what defines my team to be a better team than a, a competitor who might be sitting on their laurels for a long time, right? And I think attitudinally, you know, if because the things are changing, there's so many new jobs that are coming in today that did not exist 10 years ago and more to happen in the next 10 years. And what defines people is their ability to go and kind of learn things, both from a critical thinking, problem solving, all the way to a skill sets like, you know, artificial intelligence, right? And I think, you know, to your point about hardworking, it's in hardworking allows you to constant be on that learning path, right? Like, you know, our parents used to do that at the same company for 30 years, 40 years, right? Now the company is the world, right? Company is the, you know, the digital environment that we operate in where things are changing constantly. And the only constant is the change itself is your hard work, your ability to learn to your point is so much more, you know, attractive to a, an employer or a CEO or a founder mm -hmm. like me than just having a skills that you think that you're the best in the world for that particular skill. I, I couldn't agree more. And what you're describing there is kind of almost a perfect example of this humility and the, the Eastern culture that you describe, because no matter how much money you make, whether you sell out to one of the big, biggest globally recognized companies and still say, oh, it's, you know, small business, 50, 60, 70 people, et cetera. You know, it's that humility that almost, almost says, I'm never going to take this for granted actually tomorrow it's almost that fear of it could all be gone so why would you ever want to stop learning and why would you ever want to take this for granted rest on rest on our laurels i'm not saying enjoy the journey and say yes we have uh, we've really achieved something here and achieved it with the team but and to, to continually keep going despite of all of that it's 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 a very very unique trait and as you mentioned there before, you know, of course, you've had a really interesting, interesting personal background and, you know, on the subject of diversity and inclusion and belonging, which I think in one way is really never more important than it is right now, given the coronavirus and the fact that we are living in very, very uncertain times. People are being forced to go online if they were not utilizing tools like this so much. And I think what's been interesting in a way is you know, I, I, I have seen from, from a lot of our clients is either, you know, those that have thought, oh my goodness, diversity and inclusion, maybe it goes a little bit further back in terms of the priorities right now, and others who have been completely polar end of the spectrum and said, you know what, actually inclusion right now is the most important thing ever. This needs to be on the very top of our radar. It needs to be something where we're looking after people, their mindsets, we're really sharing, we're collaborating, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, again, a very small example, I suppose, of how digital can really affect diversity, inclusion, mindset, wellness, our feelings of belonging and community, et cetera. But I wondered your thoughts around digital and diversity and inclusion and belonging. Now, I know that's a very big broad term because we said before the podcast started, actually, this is so much more than just race, gender, socioeconomic background, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is mental health. It's all those invisible diversities. But from your experience, I wonder how do you think there could be how do you think the diversity, inclusion, and, and belonging world almost could and can be affected by, by, by the digital age? And are there any specifics that you think we, we ought to be considering around that point and the relation between 
DIB and digital tech, AI, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's a massive, massive kind of area and, and focus. And hopefully I can do justice by sharing some of my points of view in, in this space. First of all, I think, you know, to your point about diversity, it means many things to many people, right? So if you go to a CEO of a large company, diversity for him may mean that there is a, you know, good equal representation on the board from a male and female perspective. Diversity in a company where, you know, you know, equality for, you know, unconscious, you know, bias point of view or having a point of view on, uh, disability or having a point of view on mental well-being of people. So I think the definition of diversity and inclusivity is not a single definition and it needs to be an evolving feature in every company, right? That's one thing I would kind of share. Having a, what we have realized at my company, Brilliant Basics, is it's not a pipeline problem, it's an intent problem, right? So I think it needs to be felt from top down, bottom up, that look, we are a people-led company, right? So uh, in in Brilliant Basics, uh, we say we are people-led, product-focused, planet-conscious, right? So this is our 3P strategy, right? So uh, what I mean by people-led is ability to kind of treat everybody respectfully, right? Um, Ability to say, you know what? Together we are stronger, together we are better, right? And the reason we say that in a design digital innovation company is if in fact our end product is better when people are diverse because they bring multiple facet of knowledge and learning and ideas and you know uh, cultures and it's a melting pot and you know we are very lucky to have you know nationalities from 26 27 countries in the company multiple languages and and you know digital is unlike bricks and mortar is global from the day you launch a digital product or service right so why wouldn't you have diverse people building that and creating it because your market share is global right and a lot of people don't realize it and i think they're living in this kind of you know very siloed world of oh i want one kind of people or i want one kind of you know uh, skill set I don't think that's fair on the customers. That's first of all, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's fair on people because people are yearning for community building, for a social, you know, of course we're going through some unprecedented times right now and social distancing is, a, is, a, is something that we are all promoting for the safety of others. But that doesn't mean we are distancing each other from each other from a conversational kind of, you know, point of view, from building the products and services point of view. So I think, you know, from my perspective, you know, being people-led is always about creating a platform, a mesh or a culture a platform that allows everybody to feel safe. That's the first thing. The second, everybody should have a voice to share those ideas and without feeling, oh, I'm not sure if my ideas are good enough. I don't think that kind of, you know, that kind of culture is entertained in, in Brilliant Basics. Thirdly, I would say giving a you know, some sort of, you know, approach or process in, in the project delivery and the way we work to make sure that everybody's voices are heard, everybody morale is checked on a regular basis, because that data plays a major role in making the next iteration of the culture better. Uh, and culture, by the way, is a byproduct of a process, in my view, right? Rather than having an open culture, if you have a process, everybody start to feel this is what BB Brilliant Basics is mm-hmm. kind of known for, right? The second thing I would say is, you know, diversity has changed dramatically, right? Since 
you know, Greta Thunberg started talking about planet, for example, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know if you followed the World Economic Forum, but mm-hmm. yes, Trump and Greta could not be polar apart, right? In terms mm-hmm. of their ways of, you know, thinking. And what that has done is created this kind of sentiment that you cannot just run a company on the basis of profit. You've got to have a purpose, right? And purpose is, to your point about diversity and inclusivity, but also diversity also means that diverse ideas can also help the planet be a better place for communities, for unprivileged people, for the climate, right? And I think for me, what is really exciting is if a 16-year-old can change the world, right? Imagine what, you know, my team can do in its own way. So, so what we have done internally is we have started to bring together this concept of T-shaped people. So T-shaped meaning you've got a skill set in a product or area, but then you've got the vertical uh, horizontal line of T, which is focused on being people-led and being planet mm-hmm. kind of conscious. So, what, so, so that it's not just one person who's supposed to do that, be diverse. Actually, everybody is diverse in the company. And that's been a biggest change in our ways of working for last kind of, I would say, two, three years. Uh, we always has this mindset of, hey, you know, BB people will always be nice, right? That's mm-hmm. kind of given. Mm-hmm. We're not like, you know, uh, difficult people in the company because as soon as people are nice, people be- become safe, right? That's the kind of first rule of building the company. Mm-hmm. Now, we have, what we have done is we made it much more tighter and said, diversity means this, which means that we, we create better product, better culture, and better impact for the planet not just better design and better digital outcomes, but in fact, something far bigger and far more than, you know, just making our clients, you know, lots of money in terms of the digital products and and the outcomes from that. That makes absolute sense. And that's really inspiring to hear how incredibly eclectically diverse the, the company is and that it's managed to remain so. Because I think, you know, that's what I often see. And, and of course, businesses, no business is perfect. It all goes through a, a different journey depending on which organization we're working for. But I think the difficulty when you have got this really kind of wonderful entrepreneurial feel and, and personality is that when you start to scale up is making sure you manage to still keep the, uh, you know, the enthusiasm of the founder which clearly Brilliant Basics or, or BB has. And then I think one of the really interesting pieces that you mentioned earlier was one of the keys to, well, I didn't think, you didn't say a key to your success, but you said it was personalization. And I think when we, and again, I know this is very kind of, you know, big picture, and I am certainly no expert in the digital world and what the future will hold. But you think about how fast everything has moved and the fact that you said personalization there is one of the absolute kind of critical pieces to to you being able to grow that organization. Well, personalization, emotional intelligence is one of the only things that cannot be replicated through things like artificial intelligence that you mentioned. I mean, to a degree, maybe through Amazon's Alexa or asking how you are, but right now, we are humans and we are humans alone and no one else can really replicate that. So whilst process and systems can be copied in Mm -hmm. abundance, the personal and the humanistic nature of them cannot. So, you know, again, I wonder, and I'm not trying to put words into your mouth here at all, but um, given that you said personalization was uh, one of the the key facets to, to you really having a strong USP for that organization, was yeah. it that you think that really differentiated you almost and, and really was one of those things that made you very attractive to Infoces and, and other organizations when you, uh, when you exited? No, that's a brilliant uh, articulation and question, uh, Leila. So thanks for kind of nudging me that way. I, I think, you know, for me, 
I think the relevance and personalization, it, I think it's achievable when the company is not large enough. Uh, mm -hmm. Because, you know, when you have a 250, 300 people company, you know, you can still kind of put a name to a face, right? When you've mm -hmm. got 230,000 people company, you know, you put a number to that face, right? And I think, you know, what we've been trying to kind of uh, uncover in last kind of year or so is through things like AI and things like machine learning, how to kind of make that augmented information to a manager mm -hmm. or a senior manager to understand mm -hmm. people are people, right? They're not mm -hmm. like a number. So, you know, I think technology plays a major role if it's used as an augmented device to mm -hmm. make an experience personal to, to personalization. Mm -hmm. And of course, Amazon is, you know, incredibly functional, functionally personal, you know, kind of tool because people mm -hmm. want to give, get from A to B really quickly or order a product really quickly and seamlessly. But when you're running a company, I think to maintain that personal relationship, I think there's far more one has to do, right? Which means that, for example, you know, in my company, I'll sit down with most of the people in a month and say, hey, how are you doing? How's your family, right? And I think this I have been doing for the last eight years. So when the company had one employee, now we've got more. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to kind of always share that experience with my managers saying, hey, this is it's worth doing it because it just takes the relationship to the completely kind of next level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But all the emphasis people cannot do that because they're so large, right? And, and so vast. So the company is run by process. Now, when you're running a company by process for 200,000 people company, then what that does is, you know, that allows you to think about how do you start to capture the emotive sequence of people, right? Uh, so we have come up with, uh, in fact, we have invented a new way of doing stuff for mm -hmm. large companies which is what we call is a computational design, right? So it's in fact designing based on the computational data mm -hmm. that's available to, uh, to the manager or the user. Mm -hmm. Now, what that captures is things like, you know, empathetic value, mm -hmm. right? So the value mm -hmm. that you get from, you know, with regards to what is your fear factor? What is your motivation factor? Mm -hmm. What is some of the qualitative mm -hmm. data that mm -hmm. allows me to, you know, start to understand why are you making this decision the way you're making it, right? And that start to bring some empathetic way of managing, you know, a user or a, or a, or a personal experience with that individual. Mm -hmm. So uh, can technology play a role in personalizing not just functional value, but also emotional value? The answer is yes, mm -hmm. but there is no uh, replacement for having that face-to-face -face connectivity. Mm -hmm. um, in last, you know, we started working from home three and a half weeks ago. And I can't tell you, Leila, the amount of connectivity and community-like community feeling that we have had in our organization in the last three weeks, I hadn't felt like that in the last three years since I sold the company to Infosys. And the reason behind that is because the enemy is outside. Everybody has come together saying that, you know what, we'll come together as a team and we're going to kind of defeat this enemy out there. And I think that feeling, what you know, Zoom and Slack and all of those tools are helping us do is bring each other closer to you know the the the, the situation. Um, you know, I had a call with my team this morning with seventy eight people dialing into Zoom. Seventy eight people on Zoom trying wow. to kind of talk about you know, hey, what is the plan for this coming week, right? What we're we gonna do, and the engagement scores are just incredible. Our, you know, through this kind of you know roof. And uh, so to your point about digital technology, AI, I really believe even as a technologist and a digital kind of veteran, if I can call myself that, 
I really believe those are all augmented tools, right? And combine those augmented tools with real life experience, I think we start to look at something really magical. But if we just rely on the tool to do the job, I don't think that's uh, going to be enough for, uh, for many managers and many companies out there. That's absolutely fascinating. And again, I have to say, whilst this is a terrible, terrible time for, for many people and many organizations, I think when you look at the silver lining that is within that cloud and, and, and what you said there about digital technology, ultimately aiding inclusivity, it's absolutely brought about possibilities that, that I don't think could or, or would have happened otherwise. So no, I, I, I think most definitely if what comes out of this is, is a further development on humanity and the ability for us to be able to connect, having 78 people in a virtual room together, unlikely to happen in person. So exactly. absolutely make the most of it. And, you know, afterwards, actually, and, and I know we are in the podcast, we'll ask you this, but I'd love to love to look at doing a panel with you and some of your teams. I think it's, it's just brilliant to to really share and, and share peer to peer um, company wide knowledge, because ultimately the enemy is outside. And as organizations, whilst business can and is competitive in inverted commas, right now, everyone's in the boat together. And so where exactly. we're sharing best ideas, best practice, that is what we need to do to drive things forward. And like you say, businesses with purpose that is imperative and thank goodness that is uh, that is not going to change when you talk about kids like like Greta Thunberg and others who have now followed in in her steps it's just absolutely heartwarming what can be achieved and and I, I'm conscious of timing and no. I'm realizing that actually I could sit here quite happily and do a couple of back-to-back <laughs> podcasts with you and I'm realizing we haven't got very much time for our lightning round and our summary yeah. but what I would love to do before we say goodbye for today no. is just to ask you a couple of questions for from from the lightning round before we go ahead and uh, and summarize but I, I, I wondered first of all who has been your biggest inspiration now clearly you, you kind of said maybe back back then when when you were I mean mind you CEO at 23 blooming hell that's <laughs> that's crazy but you said you didn't maybe have many mentors or people that, that were helping uh, and supporting you at this time you must have had some inspirations who were they and, uh, and can you maybe share a little, perhaps that personal or could be professional, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I think, you know, you know, from my perspective, you know, when I was growing up, um, because I'm the youngest in the family, uh, my brother uh, is the eldest. Uh, he was the kind of shining light of the family, you know, he kind of, you know, Olympiad mathematician, got a scholarship, good at sports, he's like good in every area, right? And, and we, you know, I was, I was very lucky to have his kind of guidance throughout my life. My, my brother certainly was my big inspiration in terms of as the youngest in the family is always kind of saying yes to whatever I wanted to do and not follow the linear career path that 99% of Indian kind of kids go through. And, you know, I made a lot of, you know, I wanted to be a cricketer and I wanted to be an artist and I wanted to be something else, but, you know, um, and and he didn't have those choices when he was growing up because of his responsibilities. But he was certainly the, the shining kind of light and always a constant source of guidance for me uh, when I was growing up. Uh, I came to the UK, you know, with three, four pounds in my pocket. I was on scholarship here. So I could, you know, but, you know, even like calling him and say, hey, what should I do now? Right. What do you think I should be thinking about? Right. And he also knew on the flip side that I could kind of, you know, manage through on, on my own through a sheer kind of persistence and perseverance was a, was a big part of it. 
And then, you know, I met my wife now, but girlfriend then in 1997. And she, you know, she, without her, she, I won't be here, right? I really wouldn't be here. This kind of, you know, sheer force of nature in terms of uh, not just guidance, but giving me strength throughout the, even university times to where I am today. And, and she has been just incredible. And then, you know, number of people you meet on the way, right? Who kind of, you know, say, hey, it's, uh, it's okay to fail or it's okay to, you know, not, I mean, there are a lot of ups and downs I've been through, you know, and I think just kind of having that, you know, support and guidance from people that you don't even rely on, right? They just don't, you don't even know that they're going to actually support you or kind of tell you something that you remember. So I think, you know, uh, those three, kind of my wife, my brother for sure. And, you know, I would say my mom and dad who actually work tirelessly. And I think a lot of immigrant family kind of see this, right? Where mom is a housewife, uh, especially in India, and the dad is kind of working, you know, for the same company for 30 plus years. And that kind of sheer determination that the only thing that matters to them is the next generation is better than them, right? And that kind of focus on education was, you know, was the, I means I, I mean, the determination I realize now as a parent, but when growing up, you don't realize it. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, my mom, dad, my brother for certainly in the early parts and my wife now, because every decision, my wife is like my best friend. So, you know, every decision that I make, I just kind of talk about it. You know, what do you think, you know, should I do that Bina or not, you know, and I think just having that kind of point of view and, and support uh, helps a lot. And, you know, look throughout the process, you read a lot, um, you look at a quote that might be relevant for that day and kind of inspires you in the morning and you kind of get going. So I can mention hundreds of people, but, you know, constantly, you know, it just reminds me where I've come from, where I am now. And, you know, for me, money doesn't, doesn't mean much. Uh, of course, you know, means to have means to an end, but having the ability to rely on people around you come rain or shine is so important, right? So yeah, those are the people I would mention. Sorry, it's a long answer to your short question. No, not at all. And that's such a lovely answer. Such a lovely answer. I mean, I, you know, I have to, you know, add a couple of pieces here. I bet your, your big brother is so incredibly proud of you and also <laughs> your, your, your mum and your dad as well. I, uh, I, I think, you know, the culture that you speak of there is just so lovely. It reminds me actually in a way of my, my family as well, because they always say, look, doesn't matter what you do don't well I mean to a degree don't really care obviously they wanted me to go to university and such but it was look as long as you've tried your best then then that's really all that matters and don't worry you know the amount of times my dad said look you failed bounce back you always bounce back it's one thing you're good at you work hard bounce back again from failure and you know finally your 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 lovely wife Vina and I bet she is an absolutely brilliant woman I think for those who are the other halves of entrepreneurs, my goodness, in the nicest possible way, do they have to put up with a lot? Mm-hmm. Not only, <laughs> not only when, yeah, I mean, when it comes to emotional, emotional resilience, entrepreneurs, from my experience, are you know often in the nicest possible way, the almost the emotionally, most emotionally volatile of all of the characters out there in the world because they're constantly rocketing backwards and forwards from one thing to another. And so I think a strong partner is absolutely, is absolutely fantastic. I would just kind of add a little bit, like maybe 10 seconds on that. I think, remember, you know, I kind of worked for a corporates for a long time and then came back to entrepreneurship, right? And I think having that belief that you know when you used to corporate corporate salary right at a very senior level to start a company and being able to get the level of support from the other half and the guidance 
uh, you know, it was not just emotional risk, there a lot of financial risk that I took at the very late stages of my kind of uh, life, right? And and that's why I tell, I was kind of mentoring some startups over the weekend. And I always say that if you want to start a business, start at the age of 18, 19, 20, 21, right? That's the best time to start. Not at the age of, you know, 32, 34, when I started, you know, Brilliant Basics. Because, you know, you've already by that time taken a lot of risks, right? And you don't want to kind of, you know, take more to kind of, you know, jeopardize your family or your, you know, uh, some of the financial responsibilities you've got. So I think to go through all that ups and downs and go come out on the other side, okay, was a was a big risk for Veena, right? And uh, and I think, you know, she kind of stuck through all that. Oh, that's so lovely. <laughs> that is really lovely. It always helps having one stable part of the, uh, of the relationship or the marriage, doesn't it? That's what my... My other half always says that to me. He's like, well, thank God one of us has got a stable job. But <laughs> anyhow, um, Amanda, it's been an absolute delight to have you. Absolute delight to have you on the show. And, you know, thank you very, very much indeed for, for, for being here. I am very grateful. And I'm sure that our listeners have learned a huge amount from today's show. Thanks, Leila. And thanks for having me. And, you know, it's a great topic and, you know, love to kind of... Uh, see what you come up with next from your I'll, i'm your big listener now so I'll, i'm at it oh bless you well don't go just yet because i've got a whole number of things i wanted to ask you actually when sure. we come off the air but just before we go i uh, as i always do i kind of summarize a, a lot of the a lot of the key learning points from from the podcast and i think and there's been some really unique learning points here especially for those of us who are entrepreneurs or, or are thinking of being entrepreneurs or even those who, who come from different backgrounds who are going through challenges whether it be coming to the UK for the first time or, or trying to adapt to fit in. I think Anand's provided some really wonderfully inspirational nuggets of wisdom there, but also some really practical advice. Uh, you know, most importantly, and, and I think the quote that really stuck out for me was having those Eastern values and looking at the Western opportunities. We do live in a world full of opportunities and it's easy to forget that we are in charge of our own destiny here. Only us, only us and our own mind. Yes, with a wonderful support network around us but we are the ones that create the future and so remember that you can shape that and I think Anand where you talk there about kind of having this humility and also staying true to your roots I speak with many CEOs and Anand I'm sure you speak with many many uh, you know big old CEOs and SMEs and, and, and individuals and so you meet lots of different kinds of characters and while success I think can be achieved through many different personalities I think the most the most inspirational of the leaders who sit there like yourself are those ones that really share with others not only the stories of trials and tribulations as well as success the successes with the teams but also those ones that really share the humility and not forgetting most importantly where we came from mm -hmm. we could enjoy all the success all the money all the riches in the world but really it's only finite and it's only for a certain amount of time what really brings us together in this digital age is inclusivity and not forgetting to always have the human touch, whether it be mm -hmm. through just speaking to another or, or through a medium like this, we should be embracing and harnessing every possible opportunity with which to be able to collaborate and share with one another stories. Um, I think 
So that's something particular that came out from today is obviously we're, we're, we're all suffering really with the, the repercussions and the still uncertain nature of what the coronavirus will hold. But if there's one thing for sure, we're all humans, and we all sit in the same boat. So where you can be kind to one another, be nice to one another, try and reach out, share on digital platforms. Check out Anand as well. He's got some really wonderful business pieces there. And as you've heard today, he's a very humble guy. So, um, you know, I'm quite sure he'll be very, very happy to answer any questions if you want to reach out directly. Otherwise, do get in touch with myself or one of the team you can visit us at www.dialglobal.org forward slash podcast or www.laylamckenzie.com forward slash podcast as always all the notes will be in the podcast show notes live on our website after today and you'll be able to check out anand brilliant basics and info sees as well if you haven't already heard of them but i'm sure most of you have since they are one of the global organizations and household names so thank you again my name is Layla mckenzie dellis and you've been listening to diverse and inclusive leaders the podcast show with you every week and twice weekly at the moment because of the uncertain times thanks for listening